Welcome, those of you listening online. Welcome to the Chicago cohort. Isn't God good? Amen. The Lord has really been burdening our church and our cohort for uh, for revival uh, these past few weeks and months, and it's uh, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced personally. Well, we're going to welcome up our pastor and visionary leader who's going to talk to us about the prophet Jeremiah. I'm so excited to hear the word he has to bring us. Let's welcome up Joy Rostek. here. Am I coming through now? Okay, sorry guys. Okay, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Let's go to verse 1. We're going to be talking today about being a prophet to the nations. Verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not punished, or excuse me, have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you've done. Now you notice sometimes we misread things like that. Why do you think I misread that? Because the word bestow is used twice. Do you guys catch it? Sometimes when you see a word, you skip down to the other section. So just get, get the lesson there. Because they did not bestow care, God bestows punishment. Okay? Let's keep going. Because of the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up For David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Okay, so we see here that God is upset with the shepherds of that day. And then he says, I'm going to give them good shepherds, and I'm going to do even better than that. I'm going to have my king come, the Messiah, and rule and reign over them. Now, go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and learn about the main shepherd with shepherds. 1 Peter chapter 5 teaches us who Peter believed that he was, the mindset that he had about himself. Not a pope, but as an elder, as a shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's find the verse here. A little bit hard when these pages stick together in the New Bible. Let's start at verse 1. 
To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glories to be revealed. So he does not think of himself as a supreme popish kind of figure. He thinks of himself as one among many elders. Everybody say elders. Thank you. Also the word overseer can go in there. And then the separate word for bishop is interchangeable with that word. He does not see himself as one that is the vicar of Christ and has a separate kind of authority. He sees himself among them as an elder, and he knows that there's a plurality of elders. Now listen to what he tells elders to do there in verse 2. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. That is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd comes, everybody say the chief shepherd. Thank you. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will, in, that will never fade away. Now go back to Jeremiah chapter 23 and see if you can put it together here in these first six verses. He says, these shepherds have not been taking care of the people because they have not bestowed care on them. He's now going to bestow punishment on them. He then says, I'm going to raise up godly shepherds who will take care of my sheep, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified. And the days are coming when I will raise up a righteous branch, my king, and he will reign in Judah, and Israel will be safe, and his name will be the Lord our righteousness, or Jehovah Shikinu, or Yahweh Shikinu there, Shikinu is righteousness. So we have the promise right there of the Messiah, but we also know it's twofold. Is all Israel being shepherded properly right now? And remember, when we look at the prophets, where are we when they're speaking of Israel? Do we become spiritual Israel? No. According to Romans chapter 11, what happens with us in Israel? We get grafted in. Let me just show you that quickly. Go to Romans chapter 11. Israel is still Israel by descendant, by being descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We do not change our physical DNA, our descent, in other words, our genealogy now because we become Christians. We are still, according to the Bible, the Gentiles. We are of other nations. Now, there are plans and words spoken to the other nations all throughout the Old Testament. Don't have time to get to them now. And one of them is a messianic one. He will be a light to the Gentiles in Isaiah. You guys have heard that, right? But when you go to Romans chapter 11, it tells us where we are. Go to Romans chapter 11, verse 11. Verse 11 says, Again I ask, did they stumble so to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Notice there is no changing or mixing of titles of who a Jew is and who a Gentile is. He's not now saying you are now spiritual Israel. He's not doing that. He's saying you guys are getting a chance as Gentiles to get saved because this has come about by their rejection. So God foreknew that Israel would reject him and then that the message would go to the whole world to provoke them to jealousy and then in the end times that whole nation will be saved and the 144,000 will be evangelists. At this time, we still preach the, the, to the Jew first, believing that they can be saved, but as a whole, the nation will not be saved until the number of the Gentiles has come in. So he says, their transgression has made it possible for the Gentiles to be saved to make Israel envious. Verse 11 says to make them envious. Verse 12, but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion be? That's looking towards the end. That's why we know when we go to Jeremiah chapter 23 and it says in verse 6, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety, we know that that can't refer to the first coming. The first coming has not given Israel safety. And then when people try to spiritualize the 70 AD invasion of Israel and say that's the day of the Lord, how in the world is that the day of the Lord? That was the day of judgment upon Israel. They didn't get the fullness of the day of the Lord, which is the blessing of being with the Messiah. It's a partial fulfillment. Yes, there's a lot that's being fulfilled with, just like it was in the Babylonian captivity, but it's not the full fulfillment, which is Israel lives at peace with its king and the nations serve our God. 
But let's keep going and see what happens to us. Let's go to verse 17 of Romans chapter 11. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. So we are not Israel by descent. We are the wild olive branch, okay? We are the wild ones coming in to them unnatural to it, but given the same ability to be grafted into it. So we're not naturally in it. We're naturally out here, a part of something else, but we are then brought in supernaturally by the power of God. Does everybody see that? Amen. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So when you're looking back on these passages, always remember what God is doing for Israel, he's doing for you if you are now grafted into Israel as a born-again Christian. Amen. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, so just once again, bad shepherds are being replaced by good shepherds. Peter says he was a part of that, and so are we today, and you guys are in ministry to do that. You guys are here to shepherd God's people. All of us can do it as a Christian, can do it in some ways. Parents will shepherd their children. You will shepherd others in Bible studies. But then there is a unique kind of shepherd that's called an elder in the, in the church that's given the right to teach and equip the other shepherds to go out and do the work of God. Does everybody see that? So the fivefold ministry, though we're all called to be a part of it, there are heads of it in each local body that multiply and raise them up. So when we raise up our elders here, they're to multiply their gifts to the other disciples. So the prophet, who is as an elder in this ministry, is to raise up other prophets and to see them use those gifts specifically to that, that gifting of a prophet. Like I said before, all of us may have the gifts and the abilities of the fivefold ministry because we have the Holy Spirit in us, but there will be some that, be, that will be dynamic in us. That, there will be some that will be pointed towards more than others, okay? But I don't want you to limit yourself. Let God use you. And you can maybe even go in seasons. Maybe he gives you as a pastor in one season to see that come out more than any other gift. And then in another season, he uses you as a missionary or as an apostle. Or in another season, you get really deep into the word and be a teacher. Don't look at those gifts as uh, stagnant positions. Look at the positions as being elder and deacon. Okay, look at the elder and deacon as that's that's what I am. And the highest you can be in the church is, is an elder. So you shouldn't be in a hurry to become any of those. Let God do it on his timetable because it's not like there's the next level, the next level, the next level. Just just live, amen. Just live up to what you're supposed to be. And then when you're there, you'll be at that place called there. Because everybody always looks for there. When I get there, when I get there, there is not all it's cracked up to be, folks. Okay, just be faithful in the now, and one day you'll be at a place called there. One day you'll be at a place called there if you're married, and you'll be at a place called there with kids, and you'll be at a place called there with being an elder. But nothing will change in here, okay? Nothing has changed in me based on my titles, positions, opportunities to speak to small crowds, big crowds. None of that changes anything. Be who God called you to be. Go in the process and stay humble and holy. Amen? Okay, so he's raising up in the church shepherds. You guys are here to be a part of that. Like Peter said, all of you are setting your heart on being elders. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, whoever sets their heart on being an overseer, an elder, sets their heart on a noble task. That's why you're going to Bible college. You want to replicate the gifts into other people's lives. That's what the Bible says that we're supposed to do to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But I want you to notice that in his time, you know, just a few years before the Babylonian captivity, the major issue issue is with the religious folks. And as I was sharing yesterday, every nation you can see when they're doing wrong has these problems. The church is wrong, the government is wrong, and then the people are wrong. And when any nation is experiencing God's blessing, it's because those things are right. The church is right, the government is right, the people are right. So just look at any time in history, any time in any nation. And some of the nations right now that are starting new, like in these small African nations, They're having Christian leaders. God is blessing them more than he's blessing the other African nations because they're putting God in the right place and then their government is flowing. And then the sad part is, is they get called out by our liberal media because they want to make homosexuality uh, 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 against their culture. And then they try to send uh, liberal people over to that culture to, to, to try to sway them. Wasn't that in Kenya? 
Uganda. And, and, you know, and then they want to say that, that these cultures can't decide what they want for themselves. You see, that's why the LGBT is a worldview. It's not just a rights issue. You could be whatever you want in private, but they want it to be in the public and they want it to influence people's minds. That's why they're proud of it and that's why they dance about it in the streets because you could just do what you want in private, but they want everybody to accept them. And the reason why they want people to accept them is because on the inside, they know they're being rejected by God. And so since their conscience is seared, they want you saying, I accept you, I accept you, I accept you, to try to get over the problem they know on the inside is God is saying, I reject your sin, I reject your sin, I reject your sin. Okay, so the problem was with the church. And look look at the church again today. The problem is here with us. And we've got to make it right. That's what revival is, is starting with the church. Revival, by definition, in the time of Israel, that's where the word is actually used. In our days, revive your work. That was a backup. We went through that. The idea of reviving is something that was once alive and now it is dead. And so when we're talking about revival, we're not really talking about lost sinners getting saved. We're talking about the church being right. And then those sinners being saved, you could call revolution or, you know, like in the Bible, you could just call them winning souls, making disciples. But what revival, that term is actually used for, Jackie, is to mean that which was once dead has now come alive. And so when we look across the city as a whole, it's a dead church. It's a powerless church. It's a weak church. That's why when you encounter them, mostly, you're, you're encountering people that don't know how to handle even what you're saying. Uh, that's why when we're out preaching, oftentimes the Christians want to argue with us about our techniques and our whatever we're doing because now they're convicted, you know, uh, just like yesterday. Yesterday, when I was at, last week rather, when I was at Wright College, you know, a woman walks by us, ignores us while we're preaching, and I said, what, you don't want Jesus? And then she's like, I already got Jesus. And I'm like, I can't tell, you know, and then she's like, she's like, don't judge me, don't judge me. And I'm like, you're the one that walked by, you know, and it's the whole point, like, if you're ashamed of him here, he's going to be ashamed of you up there. Dude, and, and just think about it. Just think about it. Put yourself, because we're not judging by a different standard. The Bible says if they reject you, they've rejected me. Just think about it. What is your reaction when you see a Christian preaching? What is your reaction? I mean, it's, it's not even like you're just too busy. It's not whatever. Like if you are walking by a sidewalk and the Christian is right here, it's not like you see them way over there. It's out your way. I'm saying they're right there and they have on the big blue crosses. You know, this is like my under stuff I have to wear because it's cold out there, you know, but you know the big blue cross. And you see it. How hard is it for you to be like, keep it up, guys? You know, how hard is it for you to do that? God bless you guys so awesome. And don't you see that too? You see that out there. Yes, last week, Brother, a brother I knew from another church came out, saw us, parked, went to McDonald's, bought hot chocolate, and then gave it to us. I mean, that is the true heart of what you do when you see men and women of God preaching. You don't walk by and, you know, looking at them all ugly, and then you say, I have Jesus. No, I mean, that's, just, that's the proof you got something wrong in your life. Oh, help us, Jesus. Our community doesn't know what it doesn't know. They, they think, I'm telling you, man, these pastors think they're doing people a favor by talking about the, you know, the, the weak surface level stuff. But all they're doing is setting up all of these masses to be swept in to the Antichrist or to be swept in to the worldview of Oprah Winfrey. All they're doing is just making the harvest for the devil easier because the devil is not threatened by people's spirituality. The devil does not care if you're spiritual. He doesn't care if you believe God is love. What do you think he cares about? He cares about you taking people from his kingdom. He doesn't want to lose people from his kingdom. He wants to keep them. So if, if he already knows, think about it like this. If he already knows this church of, let's say, 1,000, he knows that those people are, are already going to heaven. What, what would be, after that, his number one strategy against that church? If he knows he's lost 1,000, what would just be the simplest strategy? Let's not have them go to 1,010. Let's not have them go to 1,000 and whatever. Let's just have them play church. And so then he may say, let's build this church of 10,000. Somebody say, well, look how awesome it is. But you go around the church and you ask them, where did you come from? Where did you come from? Where did you come from? And 80, 90% of it's all transfer growth from the other churches that then didn't have the, the nicest children's ministry or the best band or the best lighting. And it's like, he's not, he is not intimidated by that. Do you, think a, do you think a Justin Bieber concert throws Satan off? 
And that's what most church services are today. They're just concerts. They're just little pick-me-ups. You think Tony Robbins and his self-help talks throws the devil into a confusion. He's like, what are we going to do? You know, demons, this guy's talking so much positivity. No, because if you look at it, if you look at like Tony Robbins, because he's online now a lot, and I see them getting bigger again, you see his, his big crusades or his big conferences and all the celebrities that go there, and they're all shouting and jumping to it. It looks just like a conference, and it's so positive. You know, it changed my life. It helped my marriage. It got me off drugs. It, 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 it showed me how to be nicer to my neighbor. Dude, that is not the gospel. Niceanity is not Christianity. Christianity is following Christ. And will we have love? Of course we will. But we'll have the kind of love that tells people the truth. We need real shepherds. Somebody say real shepherds. Now, I wasn't planning on doing this when I started studying the book of Matthew, but I was just wanting to do that. You know, it's the Christmas season, and a lot of people have their mind on Jesus. So I just wanted to read the gospel again, uh, you know, a gospel again from start to finish. And so I started to do that, and already within the first 12 chapters, I want to tell you what I saw Jesus talking about uh, 12 times. Are you ready for this? Because this is what true shepherding is like. This is Jesus, okay? Well, let's start with John the Baptist, Matthew 4, 7 through 12. John the Baptist says this. He says, and all these trees that do not produce good fruit will be cast and thrown into the fire. That's John the Baptist. Somebody say, keep it real. That's actually not chapter uh, uh, 4. That's actually chapter 3. Let me go to it right here. Chapter 3, verse 7. Look at it. It says, but when, he saw, but, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, O generation of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he says here in verse 10, and the axe is laid at the root at the trees, and it will cut down every, fruit that does, every tree that does not produce good fruit. So that's the first message of judgment from John the Baptist. Then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus says, but I say unto you, if you're angry with your brother, and, and then you say, Raka, you fool, it says you're in danger of hellfire. Jesus is telling you within a sentence, you do this, you go to hell. Look how serious he is. Matthew then 5, still in the Beatitudes, verse 27. He said, you know, you've heard about it, not committing adultery and all these things. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Why does he say that? Because it's better for you to go to heaven missing an eye than for your whole body to be cast into hell. When was the last time you even heard a preacher say an ultimatum like that? It's always like, you know, you know, like, come on, guys, don't commit adultery. You're going to hurt your family. And the Bible says it's not good. God has a better way. God has a better, and it's always sold to you like that. When is it ever said, don't commit adultery or God's going to throw your whole body into hell? That's how our shepherd talk. Are you listening? Then in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, he's very clear that straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. So that means many are going to be on a wide gate. Then in 720, he says again, you'll know them, talking about false teachers, by their fruit, and everyone that does not produce good fruit, the, good, the bad tree will be cast into the fire. And then again, he says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, he says, um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, Listen to what the demons say back. The demons say, have you come already to torment us? Remember when they were getting, you know, about ready to get cast out? He says, have you come to torment us already? See, people don't want to talk about that one day God is going to torment people. I understand the C.S. Lewis understanding of hell, that the torment is based on our selfishness, and it's not that God is casting us into hell, it's that we're jumping in because we're rejecting his love. I totally get that. But God will also torment you. God will also torture you. God is going to do it. It is his choice. He could do it another way, but he's doing it this way based on his justice. Then in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he said, don't be afraid of those who just kill the body. Don't just be afraid of Oprah Winfrey calling you out on Facebook. Don't just be afraid of social media people, but rather fear. God says this, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10 Verse 23, he says, oh, Capernaum, you haven't been listening. You've been doing all these things. Uh, rather, Matthew 11, I got to go back and change all of these things, all my references that I was taking down with my notes. So give me a second, 11, 23, he's, you know, he's talking to those nations and using Jonah as an example. And he says there in verse 23, he says, and thou, Capernaum, which, exalt, you know, which art exalted above heaven, you shall be brought down to hell. It says, you shall be brought down to hell. 
He's talking to the city Capernaum that's not even listening to him at that time. And he says, you guys, you think you're so high up there, you're going to be brought down to hell. Matthew 12, 41 says the same thing, that those of Noah's generation <clears throat> are going to condemn his generation, the one that Jesus was preaching to because they weren't listening. Matthew 13, this is as far as I've gotten, Matthew 13, 40 and onward, he says, the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. One more, Matthew 13, 49. So shall it be at the end of the world, the angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. How much of that is being preached right now? Come on, let's be honest. See, I'm telling you, man, the gospel's been so watered down that people don't even understand they're supposed to be fleeing from the wrath that is to come. And we're going to get into that as we go back to Jeremiah because these pastors do not care for them. And how they don't care for them is they're telling them everything's going to be all right. Now let's go to Jeremiah 23 and look at verse 7. So then declares, uh, so then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live on their own land. So it says there was a great deliverance out of Egypt, and they came back, you know, they came into their land the first time. Now there's going to be a deliverance out of the lands they've been taken to, and there's going to be a great, you know, great uh, celebration, all of that. But that still hasn't happened, even though they came back after the Babylonian captivity, and, and Daniel understood that from looking at Jeremiah that it would only be 70 years, they all didn't come back. Hence, Jesus saying he came for the lost what, Jared? The lost, the lost sheep or the lost tribes of Israel. Amen. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry, I thought that would have been a good setup for you. Uh, the lost tribes of Israel, which is also the lost sheep. The lost tribes of Israel were still lost during Jesus' time. They're not fully going to come back into the end days. So there's partial truth in what these Israelite groups, the black Israelites are trying to say, but they're not it, and it's not them doing it of their own. It's God doing it through people that are legitimately Jewish. Now, are some going to be people of color and, and, and all different nationalities? Absolutely. The lost Lost tribes went into all parts of the world. They went into India. They went into Africa. They went into those parts, probably even into Asia. And God will draw those lost tribes out. And, and that's okay that that's a part of our belief system. But we're not here to try to look for it and then try to say, well, now you're it and now there's a superiority, okay? Because first of all, if you can't identify yourself as that, then what, what's the point of trying to find it in the Scripture symbolically? Because then everybody could be it symbolically. And I don't buy into the things they try to say. And then not only that, they then change the gospel and the whole message and they get full of hate. But there is truth to that, that the lost tribes will come in, that the full um, tribes of Israel will be represented there in the last days. That's why the 12,000, when they're listed, to make the 144,000, because 12,000 times 12 is 144,000 in Revelation, you see each of the 12 tribes. It's, they're there. They're represented there. And I think it will be a rainbow of people. They'll probably be the ones from India and the ones from Africa and the ones from the Middle East and the ones in Europe and ones in Asia. You know, it'll be beautiful to see all that happen. Uh, we'll be in heaven when that happens, but it'll be great to see it because I don't want to be here while the Antichrist is ruling and reigning. But I am ready if it happens. I am ready. Okay, so we know that wasn't fulfilled even in the time of Babylon. It's still waiting to be fulfilled. Now listen to what he says. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. So he's saying like he's overcome with sorrow and grief and it's, it's messing with his emotions as if he was drunk. You know how drunk people are overly emotional. That's how he's comparing it to that. And then the Bible says the land is full of adulterers because of the curse that lies, the, because of the curse the land lies parched and the pastures in the wilderness are withered. So the land is cursed because the people are cheating. How are they cheating? They're cheating on God. And if they're cheating on God then that means they're also cheating on each other. And that's the same thing in our culture. When you cheat on God, you cheat on each other. If you won't be married to God, you won't be married to the person you're with. Okay, and then it says, the prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. And we've seen that when it happens, when the pastors, when the leaders, when the shepherds use their power unjustly. They do it for conferences in our generation. Do it for money. Do it for sales. Do it for bigger sales off their concerts, books, 
Why in the world are we supposed to get words for God for free but then sell them to you for money? I, I understand, like, it costs money to cut down a tree and make a book, but, man, you can't read it unless I, you know, I can't read your book unless I got $40, and yet you tell me God said it. Man, you keep that. I'll hear what God said right here. Amen. That's why I give all my books away for free. And my books are better than most books they are spending $20, $30 on. I guarantee you that. Amen. But that's what I'm trying to say. Like everything's a gimmick now. Everything's a gimmick. End of the year this. End of the year sale for this. Buy this and you can download all my messages for this and subscribe to this. It's such a gimmick. Aren't you guys grieved by all the gimmicks in Christianity? I'm just grieved by it, man. It brings me no joy to see how every church now wants to start its own fashion brand and every church wants to do this and do that and the conference this and they all come up with these silly names like Code Red or Revival Orange or, you know, Beautifully Broken Restored Women, you know, or, or whatever is Mighty Men of Valor. And I know some of that's cool and there's positive things in that, but it's to me such a waste of money because everybody comes out just as powerless as they came in. So they're using their influence unwisely. And now, as you can see, like, like it's not just good enough to be a pastor. Now you got to be a pastor with a talk show. Now you got to be a pastor that does this and then buy your wife a Lambo, you know? And it's like, it's like I'm not here to hate on people who have more than me or whatever. It's just, man, why is that so important to you got to put it on Facebook? Why, why do you got to make it about that? And then I hear them defend themselves and then they clap back and get all sassy. And I'm like, man, you don't clap back about sin in the black community like that because that brother was African-American, John Gray. You don't clap back about abortion in your community. You don't clap back about homosexuality. You don't clap back about nothing, you know, of substance. You clap back at somebody getting upset with you about getting a Lamborghini. And then he tells the story with tears in his eyes how such a big of step of faith it was to get it for his wife. And I'm just like, what a shame. You know, not to say we can't have nice things, but what a shame, like, this guy is trying to convince us this was a step of faith to buy a Lamborghini. You know, it's just foolishness, guys. It's foolishness. Now, once again, can I say it's sin? No. I mean, it's, he didn't steal it. He can do whatever he wants with his own money. I'm just saying it's grieving. Like he's not known for being controversial because of the positive stances he's in. He's being known now for all the money he has and all the things he's putting on social media. And, and I, I thought that maybe I was the only one seeing this. And then I watched his, his 30-minute defense video, whatever, 20-minute defense video. And I actually saw a lot of people under the comments saying the same thing, like, like you're the one that put your video on Facebook, you know, or on, on Instagram. Like, why, if you didn't want people to talk about you, why did you put a video of your wife getting a brand-new Lamborghini? Like, now they're going to talk about you. Like, what did you think they were going to do? So be, be cool with it. Don't act surprised. Like, most people don't make $200,000 in five years. You know, let alone you spend it on a car. And once again, I don't have a problem with that. It's just the attitude around it. It's like I'm saying, I don't have a problem with conferences. I don't have, I mean, we've done and we'll do them. But to me, it's the money and it's the, the way they sell it, you know. It's like, hear this speaker and hear this one and then hear this one. And, and they all, to me, say the same thing. You shake them up and then you pour them out and they're all exactly the same. You couldn't tell the difference, you know. It's like if you read their scripts and you didn't hear their voice, you just read like their, their script, they would all sound, you, I mean, you wouldn't know which one is which, you know, because there's no dynamic. It used to be like you would want to go hear a preacher because the preacher would have this to say. Maybe they would talk about the end times, you know, or they would talk about the gospel, or they would do this, you know, even like looking at Mike Bickle, you know, he talks about the bride, and he talks about prayer. There's something so unique about that, that's special, that I want to hear that, or Michael Brown talking about revival and being culturally relevant. You know, there, there's a substance that they're bringing. The same message over and over again. You're, and, it's, and, and, and what do I phrase it as? You can make it. You can make it. You're the woman with the issue of blood, and you can make it. You're the man laying inside the, you know, the pool of the Sessa, and you can make it. You're this demon-possessed person, and you can make it. And guess what? We'll find out what God says about those kind of messages. Among, uh, let's go back up here. Uh, verse 11, both prophet and priest are godless. Now, thankfully, not everybody's godless, obviously, in, in our day. I mean, there's a lot of good things happening in those churches. But in, in uh, Jeremiah's day, he was being honest. He said, both priest and prophet, uh, prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. And remember, what was the wickedness that, that Jesus found? You have made my temple a den of thieves. And it's supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations. How often do you come to a church like this and you hear the prayer for the nations? 
Once again, you don't see that there. You don't see them praying for Syria to repent and come to Jesus because that's not in their worldview. See, in their worldview, it's an Americanized gospel. Why do we care about Syria repenting? Why do we want to send our young people to go be missionaries with the Live Dead movement of Dick Brogdon to go live in Egypt and go reach the Muslims? Why do we? Now, we don't want to do that. We want to keep everybody here and be in the kingdom that we're building because it's all about us. They don't pray for the nations. They don't weep for the nations. They don't even weep for their own nation. It says, therefore, their path will become slippery. They will be banished to darkness, and there they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished. Now, that happened literally when Babylon invaded Israel. They'd lost all their jobs. And you see this continually happening now in the ministry. Pastors committing suicide. Pastors getting kicked out the church. Pastors stealing the money. Pastors having sex with the secretary. They keep falling as fast as they're rising. As fast as they rise, they fall again. They, they rise again, and they fall again. They rise again. Oh, this one will be different, and he falls again. And I can name all their names, but I'm not. But I'm just telling you, oh, this one's different. This one's different. Oh, you find out from the 80s, he was kissing on women's belly buttons. Oh, this one will be different. Oh, he's reformed. He's reformed. He'll be different. And then all the elders say he needs to come down. Right now in our city, right now in our city, there's a large church right in our community that's suing its former elders because they went online and started telling the truth about them. And even if it wasn't the truth about them, they should not sue other Christians. Just move on. Julie Royce is getting sued. Those of you, I'll just say it, Harvest Bible Chapel is suing their elders, former elders, and people like Julie Royce, a radio personality. Can you believe this? This is the world where they're suing them. I mean, I don't even care if everything they've said about them is wrong. You don't sue them. And then they write an article that gets published, why we feel it's okay to sue other Christians who talk bad about us. And they literally said this, we rely upon the donations of our people, and this is hurting our donations. That's what they said. Look at follow Julie Royce, whether you agree with it or not. I mean, I don't care what you say about me. I am not suing you. I am not suing you. There's, what, what is that going to bring? I'm here to preach the gospel. I mean, that's like Jesus suing the Roman Empire, you know? I mean, I could see you doing that maybe for the government's sake if they mess with you, but I mean, come on, just man up somebody. But that's the world we live in now. That's, that's, dude, just think about, I'll just name some of the names now. Just think about that. You got, biggest, you got the biggest churches in my area and then, this, and then the, the city, Willow and Harvest. Willow loses their entire pastoral staff because the guy starts messing with women and then all the elders and the pastors cover it up whether they knew it or not and they all get fired and have to leave and that whole church is being rebooted right now. And then you've got Harvest, all these elders and people who are really just trying to help out in their mind and now they're being sued. Those are the biggest churches in our community. Come on, guys. This is nonsense. That's why the Bible says they're always going to get exposed. A lot of times you won't hear about the wicked being exposed till judgment because God is still allowing that to be deceptive to us. But he, this is a mercy to us to spare us, to show us do not follow it. But if you're already so deceived to follow Freddie Mercury, you know, from Queen or whatever, then there's no exposing ever going to happen there. God only exposes to, to save those who are truly seeking the truth. So God is showing you the truth is not there. Now, what would I do if I was Harvest Bible Chapel? I would do exactly what they're asking them to do, have a third party mediate publicly between these two groups. But they won't do it. They only want to do it now privately in their church. And when the others didn't agree to it because it wouldn't be made public, they are not coming to it. They don't belong to that church anymore. They're not elders there. They stand aside from themselves. So it would be like, a, you know, if elders who left here, you know, uh, David Montes to go be in the military or Ish for being, you know, in the suburbs and wanting to stay out there and go to a church. Let's say they had issues. If I said, now come here and submit to our elders, they may say, hey, all your elders are going to see it your way. Let's get elders from SUM. Let's get elders from there. There's no problem with it. That's what the Bible says. Get a third party to mediate. The ones that, that run away from that are ones that have something to hide. And I, like I said, I'm not believing everything they're saying against a harvest, and, and not to get into this too long, but like Julie Roy says the same thing. I don't even believe everything. I just wanted to research it and start publicizing the things that I find because it's such a big church, and they got upset with her about that. 
Come on, somebody. Now, what I would say, what I would say, and we say all the time, is if people are divisive towards our church, don't fellowship with them, otherwise leave our church. There's nothing wrong with that. If you don't like what we're doing here and then there's people causing division, the Bible says to, to kick you out too because you go be with them. But now that doesn't mean we go sue you guys. Do you guys see the difference? Like if you don't like what we're doing, you're going to make a Facebook page against us. I hate MPI. They're a cult, whatever. Fine. I don't care. Go do your own thing. You got time to waste like that? I'm going to go get 10 more in your place and win souls. Amen? Verse 13, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. So there were prophets in Samaria, that part of Israel. It said, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led people astray, led Israel astray. So this is one thing they did wrong. They actually were getting this from another God, and they were giving it to the people. But that's not all they were doing wrong. Let's keep going. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I saw, I seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. So it's not that some are just worshiping false gods. There's others that are worshiping the right God, but they're doing it the wrong way. They're doing it cheating on God, maybe trying to add in worldly values from Baal and so forth. They, they strengthened the hands of evildoers. See, what did they do? They strengthened the hands of evildoers. So I saw an interview with the guy from CNN, Don Lemon, and I talked to you guys about this before, say to T.D. Jakes, you are my greatest inspiration. So he brought T.D. Jakes onto his show to say, you are my greatest inspiration. One issue with that, Don Lemon is a proud, openly gay man. See, T.D. Jakes' message did not convict him of his sin and then have him turn away. He feels comfortable enough to still receive from T.D. Jakes while being a gay man. That's why Lauren Daigle could go on to Ellen and be strengthened in her sin because a Christian is affirming it. Do you guys see that? And the same thing is with, I'll just talk about names today. We'll bring it out. That's always fun when I do that. Chance the Rapper says, I want to study and read my Bible. And then he drops an F-bomb in the same Instagram post, right? And drops an F-bomb. And so this is it. Who's his Bible teacher? Who's Kanye West's Bible teacher? Who's Justin Bieber's Bible teacher? Because it reflects poorly that they're out in the public saying they're doing stuff with scriptures, but they're not putting any lifestyle change in it. Now, there may be things going behind the scenes, but there should be some basic stuff they can say. Basic. And just quoting scriptures and saying, I got baptized, that doesn't mean you're saved. No more than baptizing a pig means it becomes a human or something. It doesn't transform you. Going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. So I pray for them. I want to see real salvation, don't you? I want to see it. But I want to see them start talking about heaven and hell. And, uh, you know, Kanye West is bold enough to talk about politics, right? He's bold enough to do that. And I agree with a lot he's saying about politics. Why don't you talk the same way about Jesus? Why don't you put hell on a bunch of things right now? Call it out. Be honest with it. But no, see, Christianity gets put on the side, and then politics even gets put out. So literally, the last thing that people count the cost of is Christianity. They'll even become a Trump supporter publicly before they'll become a public Christian. Think about that. Think about that. I watched a show about that where they said it's harder to come out as a Christian in Silicon Valley than it is to come out and be a homosexual or be whatever because it's so accepted now for that that to actually come out to your family or to come out to the people in that community and go, I'm a Christian, is the most detrimental thing you could do. And I, I know that applies to Hollywood as well. It said they, they, they worship false gods, they're committing adultery, they're living a lie, and they're strengthening the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says concerning the prophets. I will make them eat bitter food and drink poisoned water because from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. Oh, my gosh. Do Jeremiah Wright here in the city affirms homosexuality, Trinity Church. Now Otis is the pastor there. And there's no loss of membership. Why? Because that church was so off into their liberal politics and into the things that they want to be a part of that when they stand up and affirm gay marriage in 2012, that no one even leaves. And that's what we're talking about now. We're talking about now people don't even care anymore. People just, so what? Let's just keep buying the music. Let's keep going to the concerts. Let's see. Dude, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it's getting to the point where you're going to start seeing more and more pastors. And, and the real litmus test is going to be the LGBT thing. 
because that's the one that gets them the most, the most star power with the world, and it's the one that comes across the most loving. And I, am, I can name name after name after name after name of those who are, are buying into it right now. And they're not losing their fans. They're still growing. They're still growing in influence. And then they all tell their story the same way. You know, I was brought up fundamental, and I was taught that this was a sin. And then I met my first gay or lesbian person. And then I began to realize, like, how much sincerely they really loved God. And, and I realized, like, we're all sinners. And even if it is a sin, God will forgive them because he forgives me. And then I realized that, that I have to see the whole Bible through Jesus, and, and Jesus never condemned, and Jesus never talked about homosexuality. So I would rather get out of Paul and being to Jesus because maybe Paul had it wrong at times or maybe we didn't understand Paul. I could put on what, Jory Micah? Is that her name? Yeah, I could put on Jory Micah. Where did she graduate from? Christ for the Nations or somewhere? Yeah, look it up for me. I could put on the most sweetest, look, go, go, go uh, to our notes, new tab please, online, Jory Micah. Go to new tab there, control T. And let's go to uh, Jory Micah, and you'll just see sweetest looking girl. Just, I mean, she would be like your best friend. And then now she's just like, she's gotten smarter. And you could just see, if God does not interrupt the process with Lauren Daigle, it's the same thing. I don't know, you know, you go study the Bible, you tell me. Because I was just talking to some of my friends about it. What, what's the very next thing going to come out of her mouth in the near future if she doesn't repent? What's Jory, Jory, help him spell it. There you go. Now listen, why, why is this so important? Because the prophets are lying. They're becoming like Sodom. Do you think that's a mistake that it said they'd become like Sodom? What was Sodom like? What was Sodom like, guys? I'm asking you, what was Sodom like? Homosexual, perverse. He says that's what they become like. Jory Micah breaking the glass steeple. Now let's go here. Look how happy she is. Let's look at this. My top mission is to help women shake off the chains of limitation and the shackles of oppression that the Christian church has wrapped around them in the name of incorrect biblical interpretation and stale religion. And I hope you'll join me. Go up to the blog, please. Look how cute and cuddly she looks, right? Like as a nice friend, right? She's not going to say anything. Scroll, scroll up here. Let's scroll up. Let's, how does abuse women? Let's go, no, let's go past that. There we go. Justified. My transformation on LGBTQ theology. There you go. Go and hit on it. She's with a transgender man. She's with the man that now dresses up and plays make-believe as a woman. Featured pick. Featured pick. I am with my good friend Erica, who is a transgender woman activist and pastor. So scroll, scroll there. There you go. There you go. Come on. This is, this, is the, this is what we're preaching to, guys. Do not think revival is going to come without a cost. Do not think of persecution being romantic with slow music playing and everybody is cheering for you even though you're dying like in Braveheart and you shout out. Persecution comes with you being spit on. You feeling loogies on your face. You watching your children being taken from you with people hitting you out of anger saying, shame on you, shame on you for saying that this is not a creation of God, beautiful in his image. Because don't you know God is male and female? That's how we were made in his image. Don't you know that that's beautiful? That's the beautiful image of God. They can relate to God more than you can. And who are you to tell them that they are not beautiful? Look at how happy we are. We're so free from you angry Christians. We're so free from you. I'm like looking at you guys right now. You're ready to go. You're ready to like point me towards her and I'm going to preach right now. But, uh, you know, you angry Christians, you don't understand. You don't love. Let's read a little bit of this. Let's go here. Let's go. Years ago, a conservative Christian minister and mentor of mine who I deeply respect said to me, if, I were, if it were scientifically proven that homosexuality is not a choice, I would be the first to affirm LGBTQ marriage, but there's no such scientific evidence. I wouldn't even care if it was scientifically proven. It's scientifically proven right now that I get turned on by looking at women that aren't my wife, and I'm not giving into that either, okay? Well, if you can prove to me scientifically that Joe gets turned down by looking at women that aren't his wife, then uh, adultery is fine. Well, we've already proved that, haven't we? And I'm trying not to look at the ladies right now and make them feel uncomfortable. 
okay? Like I don't look at you that way. I look at you as a sister, but you get my point. Any man can be turned down by any woman given enough time in the right environment. That's why men have to guard their hearts, okay? Oh, y'all don't even want to hear that. You see, let's just be honest. All men could do that. I don't know about women's sexuality, but I talk to men all the time. Men could do it at a drop of the hat with the women they're not even close to having as their type because men have a sex drive that is unique and different to men. And men have to control it and be careful about how they get in relationships with women, being alone with women. And it's not saying the woman is so weak she can't make her own decision. I understand that too, that women make their own decision to be dirty and nasty. But I'm telling you, men at the drop of a hat can be dirty and nasty if they don't guard their heart. Amen. And we've talked about it. We've talked about that here, sexuality, and it's real. Now, I see this now as a form of black and white thinking, which I have always found appealing due to my personality. But as I grow older and hopefully wiser, I have realized that my tendency to think it's only one way or the other has not been my best thinking and has certainly caused me and others some serious damage. Trust me, I understand the appeal. This type of thinking makes many of us feel in control in a world that feels chaotic and totally out of control. Thinking in these sort of absolute like according to the Bible, can feel honest, uh, can feel honest when we are feeling as if the world lives in so much dishonesty or whatever. But I have been down this road of black and white thinking time and time again. And believe me when I say that it's usually a mind trap. As one who was born in a conservative evangelical family in which my father is a minister and was also trained at an evangelical institution, my churches, colleges, and seminaries, I completely agree with my mentor and believed, I completely agreed and, and, and uh, believe that the Bible clearly condemns all types of homosexuality, period. Keep going, please. And then let's just keep going, let's keep going. I was convinced this. I didn't realize this. Let's keep, watch, watch my hand, sir. If you watch my hand and just imitate what I'm doing, please, keep going. There you go. Keep going. Then this new mentor comes into her life, and then she says, right here, go down, right here. And it says, this is significant to me because they were the first Christian couple who are highly respected elders and theologians in the conservative evangelical church at large, at least in American egalitarianism, who gave me permission to even listen to the stories of LGBTQ people with an open mind and heart without feeling any shame or anxiety. So I started listening, and I mean really listening. I befriended many affirming LGBTQ Christians, and then they befriended me, even knowing that I struggled to see the affirming position as biblical. I read many books and articles, et cetera. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I wrestled with this, et cetera. Keep going. And then where's where's her part here? Uh, Keep going. Keep going. And then the the coffee meeting here. Let's just go down a little bit. Go down. Even if one believes that LGBTQ uh, people's sexual orientation and or identities are rooted in the fall, that does not mean that all LGBT people or their desires are sinful and beyond redemption. And then here's their first coffee tour, go up, and they're meeting this lesbian or gay people. Let's go up. It's a long article. And then at, on this coffee tour, a few gay, a few affirming LGBTQ people and more than a few affirming parents of these people showed up. This is where my non-affirming theology was most challenged. This notion of the unconditional love of a father or mother kept swirling around in my heart and mind. I believe that this was the moment that I began to get a clearer answer to all my burning questions from the Holy Spirit, but I continued to doubt these developing thoughts because I was afraid of being wrong, failing others, and failing God. And she just keeps going until she finally says, I apostatized. Let's go back to Jeremiah, please. He's going to punish them for this. And then look at verse 16 here. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what Jory Micah is saying to you when she fills you with false hopes. Get to that scripture, buddy. You should be able to just click on it. You opened up a new tab, didn't you? Yeah, just scroll down. There you go. Click. Go back up. Let's go back up and you should see it. If you could bring me the track. There you go. Click on it. Well, you must have out, uh, outdid it, so now you have to go back to it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. I want us to get that scripture up there. It's very important that you see this. We cannot be deceived to give people false hope. 
Look at verse 17. They keep saying to those who despise me. Don't all these people say the same thing? I would never serve a God who would send me to hell for being gay. Isn't that what they say? I would never worship a God who would punish his own creation in a way that we wouldn't even torture animals. Never. They actually despise God, don't they? The God they're worshiping now is an idol. It's not the real God. It's an idol of their own making, an idol in their own image. It says these false prophets keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. Isn't that what Jory says she has now? She has peace. She was wrestling with it before. She was wrestling with the judgment of God before. She was wrestling with all these feelings on the inside. And now she could take a deep breath and a sigh of relief because after all, everybody gets in now. Whoo! I feel so much better now thinking that Ellen's going to heaven. That was too much for me to think about her going to hell. I'm glad I'm at peace now. There's a pastor now that tells me she goes to heaven. There's a prophet that tells me she goes to heaven. I feel so much better now. It says, and to all those who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. Can you go back to that picture right up there, sir? Go right up there, yep, and scroll all the way up to the top. No harm will come to you. No harm will come to you. But which of them, verse 18, has stood in the counsel of the Lord? That's real. Which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? I can't go any further today. Man, I got, what, to verse 18, almost halfway through? Read the rest of it if you guys have the time. Here's the thing, guys. We need to be prophets to the nations like Jeremiah. We need to hear the word of the Lord and speak it to them with tears coming down our eyes, in love, truly wanting them to repent, but not changing the standard. You have to beg them to look at this Bible again because they're so done with it right now. And I'm not saying beg in a bad way, like I beg you, I beg you, but I mean just plead with them. Plead with them. Look at it again. You are being deceived. Sexuality is defined by God. You're being deceived, pastors, into thinking the bigger your church is, the more successful you'll feel. That's why Dino Rizzo, at the heart, at the height of his church, the healing place, he cheated with an intern. He had just finished a building project. The whole entire stage, almost like literally the size of the Allstate Arena, the whole entire stage is about... Um, about a 12-foot by a 100-foot LED screen. I mean, tens and tens. I think it cost more than Joel Osteen's church. No, don't quote me by it. It was an enormous tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars. Build his church up, fell into an affair. Gone. But guess what? A few years later, on the, on the down low, gets restored. Now he's doing conferences again. Now, does that mean I think that somebody who falls can't do a conference again? No, but... Come on, man, where's, where's the story? Where's the real honesty? Where's the real humility in what you went through? It sounds like you just kind of hid for a little bit. And now doing conferences. And what kind of conferences is he doing, Jackie? Church growth conferences. <laughs> Come learn how to build a church like Dino Rizzo. Come learn how to build a church like Dino Rizzo. Do you want to learn how to build a church like Dino Rizzo? Do you want to learn how to build a church like Bill Hybels? Well, there was some good stuff in there. I mean, not all of it was bad. Yeah, that's true. There was some good stuff with David too. But the whole thing is there's nothing about what they were doing was on the word either. So it's not like they were okay in some areas, but then this was a little bit off. The moment you say we're building a church based on what the seekers want, based on what the people out there want, and not based on what thus says the Lord has been, you have sinned against God. They wouldn't use the word sin. They wouldn't use the word hell. They wouldn't talk like Jesus. They, I mean, they came up with these methods, and now they're still teaching them. When are we going to learn to get off the teat of the world and get onto the milk of God's word and to the stake of his word? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this challenging message. 
Just as there were false movements and false uh, preachers and teachers during the time of Jeremiah that you had to correct and said judgment is coming. There's also those in our time. And Lord, I pray that we won't fall for it. And at the same time, I pray that we won't think that we're so much better than other people or get an air of superiority, Lord, but we'll just remain humble and say, we're just doing what God told us to do. And we're not fighting over the non-essentials. We're not wasting our time on the gray areas. These are not gray areas, sexuality or how the the men is to be done. These are the most important areas of the church. How we preach, how we teach, how we make disciples. And may we do it in boldness, unapologetically. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give it up for.